The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, Ecclesia on the west side, I'm Pastor Chris, and I could not be happier uh, to be back in my spot to see so many faces that I love, some new faces. I'm always really excited to see that people get pregnant while I'm gone. So. <laughs> You come back and you're like, you're having a baby, this is great. And then all the services at both campuses all weekend, I'm getting to find out great news uh, about kids coming. We have grandkids coming. Um, We are richly, richly blessed. And uh, I wish that I could find the words to describe to you how meaningful uh, my sabbatical has been the last three months. So I started a sabbatical right after Easter. Um, Easter's kind of the Super Bowl for pastors, so it's really like you, you get to experience the best and then you get some time to rest. I, I honestly don't have the words for it and that's kind of my job is to have the words and so that's uh, a bit challenging. What I can tell you uh, is that I've learned um, what my body feels like without uh, constant stress and it's different. Um, the muscles in my neck don't feel the same as they have for the last 20 years. I would normally go to a massage therapist and they would just kind of be like, you're screwed. I don't know what to tell you. Like you're, you're in big trouble. I don't know what's wrong with you. And they wouldn't really have a way to work out the knots and that somehow you disconnect for a bit and you breathe a bit and the world starts to look a little bit different. And so I'm really, really grateful that. I'm grateful that I learned um, 28 years of being a pastor now, 20 here at Ecclesia. Um, I've learned that the way that I study and prepare is not the healthiest for me. Um, I'm obsessive when I'm studying and preparing to preach and that I can't, I think about it constantly. So uh, I think about it in my sleep. If I'm at dinner with you, I'm at dinner with you, but I'm also thinking about the next sermon that I'm going to preach. And I remember being at a baseball game with my 13-year-old and feeling like, this is the first time I've ever just been at a baseball game and been fully present. And so I'm committed not to uh, obsess in my study in the same way. And so if my sermons suck going forward, I apologize in advance. Um, I just don't know uh, another way to do it. And I'm gonna try my best to do it in a healthy way and hope that God really blesses that. And I, I'm confident that he, uh, that he will. I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you a little bit about what I got to do for the last three months before we get to our text and the reason we're here. So I'm just gonna try to give you a quick summary. Um, the great part of, uh, of a sabbatical when you're a pastor is that uh, most of my work often happens on the weekend when my kids are free. I'm the busiest that I am, and I've been doing that for a long time. So getting to devote extra time to them has been a gift. Uh, I got to spend extra time after Easter just being at home and uh, sometimes following around our number two daughter, Trinity, who recently graduated from high school and is headed off to Baylor in about a week. Um, Trinity is a gift to the world. Those of you that know her, she brings just this love and presence. It's a gift. I got to uh, follow her around and be the prom photographer and do things that I probably normally wouldn't get to do. And we got to spend a lot of time uh, together over the summer. I, um, I got to take my um, oldest boy, uh, Salman, who's 16, to all kinds of musical adventures. Uh, while I worked on my Spanish in Buenos Aires, he came with me and we went to hear live music every night. We did blues shows for eight nights in a row because uh, he loves music. And he also has developed a passion as a luthier. And later on, when I'll tell you about where we went to the UK, uh, he got to study at a luthier school 
I took up photography and I went around everywhere that we went taking photos and found amazing freedom and the ability to focus on what's right in front of you and nothing else. And photography has uh, been really therapeutic for me in, uh, in that way. My 13-year-old, I, uh, they each kind of had preferences of what they wanted to do. The 13-year-old wanted to do as many ballparks as possible. He's his father's son. And so we, um, we chased the Astros to places like Monterey, Mexico. Uh, we were lucky there to be the guests of uh, a great baseball player, Albert Pujols. And Albert Pujols actually invited us to have dinner in his suite. And so we went up to have dinner after the game and uh, Christian ordered a cheese pizza from room service. It didn't come. And Albert was calling room service to gripe at them and I kept nudging Christian going hall of famer tracking you down a cheese pizza like (laughs) that's not a normal thing and yet for Christian he kind of thinks it is so uh, we chased the atros to Cincinnati to New York and to Oakland and then when we made our way to London we were blessed to get to be there just by chance uh, and it was my first time in London. I fell in love with this amazing city and some of our ministry friends there. Uh, we got to go to the first ever Major League Baseball game in London. If you watch that, the Yankees versus the Red Sox, it was not even like a baseball game. It was like a football score. And we ruined baseball for a whole country uh, in that place. It was really a strange experience. I ended up sitting with the owner of the Chicago Cubs and becoming friends with him, just the random things that happen in Pastor Chris's life. And, uh, and the whole thing, Thing was just beautiful. We got to spend some time out in the countryside of the UK where Solomon was learning to build guitars and I would travel around and take photos of cool old churches and I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever gotten to do. Lisa especially loved uh, this area and these places. I got a couple days with, uh, with three of the kids in Paris and that was our first time in Paris and we loved it. And then we got to land where my oldest had been serving for the summer. Hannah has been working with the National Association of Social Workers in Zambia and she spent this... Hannah is a blast to be in Africa with, particularly in Zambia, because she speaks really great Nyanja. And when this little Masungu white girl starts speaking Nyanja, nobody knows what to do with her. And, uh, and we got to do some really fun things. And we got to serve together uh, a group of Zambian kids. And we found so much joy in that. I've been to Africa more times than I can count. And I've never done any of the safari things that you do when you go to Africa, because I'm always racing back to be with my family. So I finally had three kids with me. And we went and did things like fed the elephants and went out to the largest waterfall uh, in the world. And we actually got, we caught it at the right time of year where we could go out to the edge of the waterfall. And um, we, we literally, we ended up doing it twice. The 13 year old kind of freaked out the first time. It's a little scary. You gotta swim against the current and it's really cold. And uh, then he realized that he missed out on something and he's 13 so he didn't have the words to go, I'm disappointed in myself. He just is angry at everything and everybody. <laughs> and uh, then we realized we needed to do it again, right? And so we went back and Christian made it and they'll grab your phones and say, is there anything you wanna do on your phones? And the kid said, dad, you should totally shoot a video. We've been talking about how do we express to Ecclesia how grateful we are for what this has meant to our family to get this break and reconnect and be together. So he said, dad, you should shoot a thank you video for Ecclesia for your sabbatical. So from the waterfall. So here it is. Hey Ecclesia, I can't believe that you gave me an amazing sabbatical. I've been here with my family. I'm at the edge of the world, Victoria Falls. Thanks for your love, your kindness. I can't wait for our 21st year and beyond. Love you. So as you can see, yeah. 
I was just inches away from not being a part of our 21st year. And uh, they, the guide, they'll have you by the, the feet holding on to you. And you can imagine how close, how tight I'm holding on to my kids as they dangle across the edge uh, of that massive waterfall. It, it was a great experience. Again, I don't have the words, but part of what you do when you clear your head, right, is you ask some questions. You ask questions about what am I doing and why do I do it? And why do I love it? I've been a pastor for 28 years, 20 years at Ecclesia. Um, some of them not easy. I'll share with you some memories in the service today. And yet, um, as I look forward and you go, what do I want to do for the next 20 years? Uh, becomes the natural question. And part of what I want to suggest to you, Ecclesia, is that um, I'd invite you to join me in what I believe I'm called to do in the next 20 years. As, as I encounter people, um, even this week, uh, with Ecclesians on the west side, Steve and Sherry Scott. I got a call from Steve early, early Friday morning uh, that his daughter had been in a really tragic health circumstance. And, um, and many of you know, you'll know Steve and Sherry. They bring this beautiful presence and generosity. They've opened their home and their life to us at the church. Emily is there in the middle with her husband, David. David's a radiologist. We're really grateful that David was home. He was scheduled to leave on a trip, but he was home and was able to begin CPR uh, instantly on his wife. She, it, it was difficult. She was gone. Um, they put six EpiPens on her and shocked her heart seven times to bring her back. And she's currently on life support in Lake Charles. We have some hopeful indications and we have some specific things we want you to pray for. Um, specifically for some swelling that's occurring right now in her brain. And we need the swelling to go down. We got about 72 hours until they're gonna give her a chance to come out of this coma. And uh, I just ask you to pray. When, when I lean in with this family, we spent the day there in that hospital. It's very clear to me when I'm in the waiting room that what the world needs, what the Scots need, what this family needs is a church. You wanna be a part of a church, people that pray with you, that surround you with love. It's clear to me. In the earliest days of starting Ecclesia, I remember walking the streets and meeting a friend that became an early Ecclesia, and a guy named Ted Stanford, one of the most gifted people you ever meet, one of the most creative people you ever meet. But Ted's uh, unique struggles and addictions had complicated his HIV status, and Ted was the kind of person that Ted didn't need a social service organization. What he needed was a church. He needed a group of people who were gonna walk with him and help him stay sober and help him be the best person that God intended for him to be. I believe that his greatest hope was only the local church. It's when I'm in places like Liberia and you don't have to be a doctor or a scientist to get there and you're in communities and you realize that people's health is suffering because these kids are drinking water from rivers and streams and all you need to know is that the waste of people and animals are washing into those streams and you know when I'm in those places, Ecclesia, it has never occurred to me. I've never thought, you know what? I'm confident the UN's going to handle this. It's never happened. You know what happens when I sit in those places? I think the great hope of these kids is local churches, churches being the church, being generous, sharing what they have, and being intentional about believing that God's kingdom is intended for us here on earth as it is in heaven, that we're those people made for those places. When I think about what happened here last week on the west side, whether you were here and a part of it or not, over the course of the weekend, one of our pastors, Sean Palmer, with our friend Gary Garrett, led people to watch 
watched some films, and out of those films, we talked about the issues that arise with race relations and the need for racial reconciliation. And last weekend, Greg shared in this room about what that looks like from the Gospels. And I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, when I look at that problem, that very real problem in our country, at, at no point do I think, you know what, the news channels are gonna sort this out. I don't have any hope for that. They will make it worse. The only hope is that a church would step forward and the church would be the church and we'd be a people that say, there is no place for racism. There is no place for hatred. All people are made in the image of God. All people are to be treated with the dignity that they deserve and we won't tolerate anything less. And I believe it's only the church that's capable of doing that. And sometimes when pastors preach things like that, people even say amen. They say like, I agree with that, right? Because it's true. And I'm telling you, if the church doesn't step forward, our culture has no hope. And so as I think about what I wanna do for the next 20 years, I wanna be a part of working with Christ and building his church and his kingdom. And I believe all of those things have the power to truly change the world. Now, as we walk that path, we're often reminded, one, the church is not perfect. I grew up in a really imperfect church. Um, it could be really conservative. People weren't even nice. I don't know. They thought it was more spiritual to not be nice, I think. And you just grew up thinking like, well, why would you be around these? These people don't even like each other. I don't know if they like anybody, right? And at least here, we're going to have our imperfections, but you can come and say, well, at least they, they smoke meat at the church. I mean, that's not all bad. And they seem to like people. So I guess we could hang around and see what might happen in this place. As we try to establish God's kingdom, it's never easy. But in Acts chapter two, we get a portrait for what the church would look like. And I remember growing up telling my dad, hey, the church is this and that and hypocrites and all these things. And my dad would say, Chris, nobody needs to hear you complain about those things. It won't make any difference. Read the book of Acts, figure out what you think the church is supposed to be and work to make it that. And Ecclesia, that's what I wanna invite you to do. In Acts chapter two, this is how uh, we get a historical description of what was happening as the church was being established. It tells us in Acts two, verse 42, that the community continually committed themselves to learning what the apostles taught them. They wanted to learn. They gathered and did things like this. They opened the scriptures. They said, what do we need to know? How do we need to change? They were learning. They were gathering for fellowship. They come together and they say, how are you doing? How are you doing? You doing okay? How can I help you? That's a natural, that's a good thing. You wanna be a part of a church that does that. And they were breaking bread together. They came and they shared meals and they were eating, right? And that's part of what we're gonna do. After this service, we're gonna break bread. We're gonna share some meals. Uh, Jim will remind you that the potlucks on the west side are? Legendary, they're legendary. That's what we do. And, uh, and if you noticed, it was the smell of heaven when you came onto our campus today. Um, my, the rest of my family is vegetarian. They don't think heaven's gonna smell like smoked meat, but I do. We got a theological difference happening in our home. But, but whatever you think, it may be, maybe you think it's like fresh bread, but I'm just telling you, whatever that smell is, it's a gift. And this is what the early church did. They ate together. They got to know each other. They loved each other. They said everyone, and they were praying, and everyone felt a sense of awe because the apostles were doing many signs and wonders among them. There was an intense sense of togetherness among all who believed, and they shared all their material possessions and trust. How did they know these people were different? Because nobody had a need. When somebody said, I, I got it, I'm sick, I need help, I need medicine, they took care of it. They needed food, whatever they needed, they shared among themselves. 
And they sold any possessions and goods that did not benefit the community, and they used the money to help everyone in need. That's why I believe that the local church is the hope of the world, that when we share our extra, that we make a difference all across the globe. And they were unified as they worshiped at the temple day after day. In homes, they broke bread, and they shared meals with glad and generous hearts. And the new disciples praised God, and they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people of the city. What happened? The people in the city went, You want to be like those people. They're kind and loving to each other. They share with one another. They eat great food together. We would all want to be a part of that kind of community. Now, nobody's looked at a bunch of stuffy religious people that don't like people and thought, I want to be a part of that community, right? But you find people that love each other. They care. They share. And everybody says, that that would be a good way to live. And day after day, the Lord added to their number everyone who was experiencing liberation. You hear this in Jesus' voice and his tone as he talks to Peter, and he renames Peter. He says, you're the rock. And then he explains this in Matthew 16. He says, this is why I've called you, Peter. For on this rock, I will build my church, and the church will reign triumphant even at the gates of hell. He says, find the darkest place on the planet, and the church is going to thrive right up into that place. He says, my church is intended to thrive. And what we know about Jesus is that from the time he left the earth, he has devoted all of his energy to building up his church. He loves his church. They're his hands and his feet. And so as we try to figure out, Ecclesia, what it looks like to walk that path, I want to tell you, it's often bumpy, it's difficult. As I looked back on our journey of 20 years, uh, I was reminded of a lot of, uh, of hard times. Um, in the f- months right after, I got back and I saw a book on my desk that I'd forgotten about. Um, it's uh, a book called The Slate Diaries, published by Slate.com, and I got to be a contributor to it in the first year that Ecclesia was around. If you have ever uh, read Slate's website, they have had uh, historically these unique pieces that are diaries. They ask people to write a diary for five days and to publish it. And in the year 2000, when we were just a few months into starting the church, uh, Slate asked me to do that. They give you a date off in advance. They say, on this date, we want you to start uh, writing these diaries. I'm gonna name drop for a minute just because I think it's kind of crazy cool how many uh, amazing people are in this book. People like Doug Copeland and Roger Ebert and Dave Eggers, Bill Gates, Malcolm Gladwell, Ira Glass, Beck is in the book, which I think is, I kind of geek out over that one. David Sedaris and Ben Stein and Colin Powell, and you go on down the list. And you write five, and uh, they would take a maximum of three to put them in the book, and a few people got three. They took three of mine and only one of Bill Gates, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. <laughs> So if I ever meet Bill Gates, just let him know. Like, you could work on your writing a bit, maybe, Bill. I could, I could help you. So in the first one, you're supposed to introduce yourself and then talk about your day. So in, um, on January 31st of 2000, this is what I said. I'm a pastor. That means I care for people. I'm a teacher and a storyteller, a spiritual director, a friend, a mentor, and a giver of hope. I love it, and I'm made for it. I'm blessed that I can still say say that today. My wife, Lisa, and 21-month-old daughter, Hannah, she's now 21 years old, and I went to dinner Saturday night with a friend from Philadelphia who's traveling the United States and parts of Europe for the next year. He's a social worker, and he saved most of his salary for the last year for his adventure. After introducing him to Nympha, some of the best text mics you'll ever find, specifically on navigation, 
I drop them off while I go to rent a movie and close out our Saturday night on a relaxing note. You know it's the year 2000 because the next sentence I say, as I pull into Hollywood video. <laughs> How do you remember going to Hollywood video, right? I remember being in it one time after a rocket's loss and Rudy Tomjanovich was looking for a movie and you're like, get a comedy, get something good, get yourself back on track, right? But we'd, we'd actually get out and we'd rent a movie and as I was pulling into Hollywood video, I said, my Nextel phone that was like a walkie-talkie screams, your apartment is on fire, come home. I think it's a joke, but it's not. I race home and my wife and baby are safe outside, but there's smoke everywhere and the smell of burnt plastic is putrid and pouring out of the door. I start to tell the story of what we did. We just started to find as we waited on the fire department, every fire extinguisher we could find. And I would take a deep breath and I would run in and empty a fire extinguisher and then I'd come out and grab another one and do the same thing. We did more than I could count of fire extinguishers. And at some point at the end of the night, the paramedics check me out for all the smoke that I've inhaled, but say I'm okay. And we end up at an empty apartment for the night. It's always fascinating when you're down to nothing, what's the first things that you go to the store to buy? And so I say, my wife sends me to the store with a grocery list. It says lemons for a lemonade fast so I can detox all the carcinogens. That was her idea. <laughs> Paper plates, cups, a knife, papaya, distilled water, soy milk, which is disgusting, <laughs> and a pregnancy test. I think she's most likely paranoid that inhaling smoke and cleaning soot could endanger a potential fetus. And if a $12 pregnancy test puts her mind at ease, then it's a worthwhile investment. So we cut the papaya, drink some water, and take the test. Holy hellfire. There are two lines. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. There's a control line and a you are great with child line. Lisa's pregnant. We have our second child and now I'm the father of a homeless family of four. I talk in the entries that come about the challenges of trying to start a church and trying to start it when you're like, we're down to nothing and we don't have any idea what we're doing. And yet what I would tell you, Ecclesia, is that um, whatever challenges lie ahead for you and I, that the most important thing we could do is devote ourselves to being a part of establishing Christ Church here in Houston and across the globe. Now, one of the things that I have appreciated over the last three months, I've been out of Houston uh, for a big chunk of that, and so I don't just get the normal interactions that I get around here. Um, at times, being a pastor in a city where you run into people all the time uh, has its challenges. It wasn't long ago I was getting some medical tests and uh, the nurse was literally, she was slapping my vein trying to get uh, a shot at stabbing me with a needle and right as she hits me really hard, she said, I go to your church, right? And uh, I thought, oh, this is, this is awkward, right? And. Um, I often right, will be in a restaurant and I love having waiters that go to our church because I used to be a waiter and I tend to tip well and I enjoy getting to know uh, people. We've had uh, unique surprises, right? Lisa and I, uh, a year or so ago, were on a flight. We don't get to travel together as often as we would like just because 
what's going on with the kids. But we were going to California. We were staying at a really nice hotel, Pelican Hill in uh, California. So this is the kind of trip you really want your wife to be on. And, um, you know, when you're married and you got four kids and a busy life, right, whenever you get on a plane, you got four hours, you finally got a chance to catch up. And I'll, I won't forget, we'll, we're sitting in the emergency exit row and uh, we got four hours to catch up, right? How are you kids doing? What are the problems going on at work? You know, when you're married and you're going to a nice hotel, you want to make sure you're on a good page, right? Relationally, like, are you mad at me about anything? Anything I need to take care of, right? And you, you want to work everything out before you get there. And we had a long flight to talk through all of it. And we got there. We landed in LA. The bell went off. We get up and grab our bags. And the guy sitting right in front of me turns around and says, Pastor Chris, I'm Joe. I go to your church. <laughs> I'm like, what, 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 what? You tell me that when you get on the plane, not when we're getting off the plane. I'm telling you, this guy knows things about my life. He knows intimate details you don't even want to think about, right? I literally, I left my iPad on the plane. I was so, all I could think is, what did I say? What did I say? What did I say? Right? Not one of my finer moments, but this one I want to suggest to you, regardless of this guy or the nurse or anybody else, I'd prefer in the future, I never hear anybody ever say again, hey, pastor, I go to your church. In fact, what I want to suggest to you is don't go to church. Don't. Go to the mall, go to the restaurant, go to a concert, go to your friend's house, but don't go to church. Be the church. We're a people that are intended to be the church. And yes, part of that means we gather. Our name is Ecclesia. It's the gathered ones, the called out ones. But we ought to be gathered together as a people that are already the church. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 92. And in this psalm, the psalmist articulates well what I think it means to be the church. I, I love the Psalms because they come from this place of honesty. And the psalmist begins this section saying, but you've made me strong as a wild ox, right? There's some place in the Psalms you read and the psalmist is like, I'm bitter and I'm frail and I'm weak and I feel like I'm gonna die, right? I love this one because I think he just came back from sabbatical. He's like rested and strong. He's like, I feel like an ox, right? I'm anointed with the refreshing oil of your blessing. That's a good place to be. And I've seen with my own eyes my enemies defeated. I've heard with my own ears my attackers cut down. Those who are devoted to God will flourish like budding date palm trees. They'll grow strong and tall like cedars in Lebanon. Ecclesia, I love this word. You probably don't use it often, but I think it'd be amazing as your pastor, if I asked you how you're doing, you just, I'm flourishing. I'm growing. I'm thriving in the place that I'm meant to be. What, what does that look like? This is what he describes. He says, those planted in the house of the eternal will thrive in the courts of our God. What does it mean to be the church? To be the church means to be planted in the house of the eternal. It means that you've decided, I'm gonna plant myself in this place, I'm gonna plant my life, and I'm gonna be deeply rooted in this place of faith where I'm gonna draw all the nutrients I need from the soil, all the water I need from the stream. I'm gonna be able to flourish and thrive. And the psalmist goes on and describes it beautifully. He says, even when the environment isn't perfect, right? Because if you're rooted and you're planted well, even when things aren't going well, you can still flourish and thrive. He says, this is good news for those of us getting older. He says, they, they will bear fruit into old age. Isn't that good? Yeah. We get old and we're still going to bear fruit. 
He says, even in winter, they'll be green and full of sap. He says, when it gets cold and lonely and desolate, and you think, where are the nutrients coming from? They're deeply rooted, getting all the nutrients you need. So when it's cold and you feel like, I'm spiritually stale, I'm not getting anything, you still can thrive. In the summer when it's hot, anybody feel some heat in your life? I mean, not just in the environment, it's hot, right? But God, the, it feels like the heat has been turned up on you and it's hard. But these evergreens, when they're planted well, when the roots go deep, they thrive even when it's hot, even when it's cold. They've stored up the reserves for those difficult times. He says, they will be green and full of sap to display that the eternal is righteous. He's my rock and there is no shadow of evil in him. Now this is a reflection of what we hear Jesus talk about in Matthew 13. You remember this parable? It's a beautiful parable from Jesus. And Jesus says essentially, and you, you gotta hear this today, Ecclesia. Your, your life's like a seed. And the question is, how will that seed be planted? Remember what Jesus says? He says some seeds are gonna get planted where? He says, on the rocky path. Some are gonna get planted on this rocky, and they're not, really, they're, they're not really planted. They're just kind of tossed. And you remember what happens to those seeds? He said, the birds will come eat them. Your one seed's planted, and it's, it didn't take root. He said, some will be planted just a little bit in some shallow soil. And they'll start to sprout. They'll sprout, but they won't be strong enough. When the heat comes, they'll evaporate. There won't be anything there. And then I love, he says, he says this, he says, but finally the sower scattered his seeds in a patch of good earth, fertile ground. At home in the good earth, the seeds grew and they grew and eventually the seeds bore fruit and the fruit grew ripe and was harvested and the harvest was immense, 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. And then I love Jesus would just say, he who has ears, let him hear. You hear what Jesus is saying? Ecclesia, you got one seed. I got one seed. How are you gonna plant it? Is your seed gonna be wasted on ground that's not uh, fertile? It's not gonna thrive there. It's just gonna grow a bit and it's gonna, it's gonna burn up. Or do you want your seed to be so deeply planted in the house of the eternal that you bear fruit a hundred times that your life would multiply for the good a hundred times beyond what you brought into it. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the way I'd like to spend my life. Deeply, profoundly planted. Now I love in Psalm 92 that he mentions, there's two trees mentioned, but the first one is the one that I love and he compares us to, right? He says, you're gonna be like these palm, you remember which palm tree it was? It's palm date tree, right? We got beautiful palm trees around here. You drive down West Gray, they're beautiful. I don't know, they cost like, $180,000 a piece or something. I still can't do the math on how a tree costs that much money, but they're beautiful, right? But they don't do it. They don't bear fruit. Nobody's going up there and pulling coconuts off of them. I love when we're in the Holy Land because you have these trees, these palm trees. They're not just decorative. They grow fruit. I mean, really good fruit. And if you've been to the Holy Land when you've had these dates, fresh or dried, they're really good. I brought some. I actually brought a bunch of them uh, so that if you want one, you can... Uh, <laughs> You can have one, you just, you gotta just get a little taste. Oh, I'm not really, anybody over here? 
There's so many of you over there, I'm just gonna give you. So go ahead and grab, go ahead and grab a few. Whoever's got one, and you can share. I'm not even aiming anymore, I'm just tossing, I'm sorry. I'm gonna get you. You can eat it off the ground, it's totally clean floors. We, we mopped a few weeks ago, and we haven't had any problems. They get you in the hand on that one, right? Okay, so you, you got one? Now, take a bite. Tell me. What do you, th- those of you that have one? Actually, you know what? I've got a whole nother box, so I'm gonna pass them. Remember <laughs> the rest of the sermon. Here, will you, I'm gonna, you're gonna pass the offering for me. Here. Kurt, would you uh, just walk around and whoever wants one. Um, when, I, when I eat these, and by the way, even though they're delicious, don't eat like 10 of them in a row. I speak from experience. I'll just tell you, you're not made to have that many. Now, these are from Phoenicia. When I bring them back from the Holy Land, they're so much better. But I gotta tell you, I eat these and I, the, the fruit is so delicious. It's so sweet. Every time I eat them, I think, why do we eat chemical candy, right? Like, why, why in the world would we not? This is the best, sweetest fruit you could ever hope for or imagine. Now, hear this ecclesia. The scriptures have said, If you would plant yourself in the house of the eternal, your tree will grow the most delightful fruit. I'm telling you, we walk in a world and a culture where people are going, I don't even know why, I don't know why I exist. I don't know why I'm here. But when that seed multiplies and we bear fruit in the world, it changes everybody around us. This is what Galatians 5 says. Paul says, this is what that fruit looks like. The fruit that only comes from the Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit produces a different kind of fruit. Unconditional love. Now I'm just telling you, you could stop here. You need to know, there, the only way you're gonna demonstrate unconditional love in this world is to plant your seed in the house of the eternal and let your fruit grow. There is no other way. You could try really, I'm gonna try really hard to love unconditionally, right? It won't happen. You won't meet people far from God that just go, you know what I'm good at? I'm good at unconditional love. I love people no matter what they do to me. That that comes from God. It can only come from God. That people can say, you have brought injustice against me. You have been unkind and unfair to me. And like Jesus, I'm going to love you regardless. Joy. Peace. Patience. Anybody here disconnected from God but just going, you know what, I'm just, I'm so patient that people are impatient with how patient I am. Anybody just like, I'm just the epitome of patience. The only way to really truly be patient is to be so connected with God that you go, I know best what matters most. I know what matters and so I don't get bothered by the traffic. I don't get bothered by the little annoyances because I'm deeply rooted in the things that really matter. Patience, kind-heartedness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You, you start to live out real self-control, right? You find me in the place where I'm in front of a bowl of queso and I only hit it three times, right? That's the work of the spirit. That's not like, I'm not capable of that at all on my own, right? This week, somebody delivered great queso to our house and I kept going, I'm just gonna do a little bit. So I just reheat a little bit, 14 times I reheated <laughs> a little bit. You would think after five times you just give in and reheat the whole thing. I just kept it up, just reheat two spoonfuls. And uh, oh, it was good. I'm just telling you, when you start to live out this fruit, you know this came from God, this isn't me. But I'm gonna love people, I'm gonna be patient, I'm gonna be kind, I'm gonna be gentle. Over the coming weeks, we're gonna talk about what does it look like to be a people that embrace the reality of planning their lives in the house of the eternal. What does it look like to really be the church, not go to church? And I believe Ecclesia together, if you'll follow with me on this journey, we'll say, what is, let, let's do this together. Let's truly be the church. We're never gonna be perfect, but I'm telling you, if you're a part of a community that bears that kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, it'll be like the church in Acts. Other people will go, I wanna be a part of a community like that. Because what we see and we, we hear it Clearly in so many places, he goes on in Galatians, this is what he says. He says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. And he says, now, since we've chosen to walk with the Spirit, next slide, let's keep each other in perfect sync with God's Spirit. This will happen when we set aside our self-interests and we work together to create true community instead of a culture consumed by what? Read those three with me. Provocation, pride, and envy. Now I'm just telling you, I look around, I watch the news, I go to a social event in Houston, I see provocation, pride, and envy. Everywhere I look, everywhere I look, consumed by envy, trying to provoke people into, literally, well, I don't even know why we're gonna fight, but we're gonna fight, we're gonna provoke. Just provocative in the way, and just not edifying in the least, right? Prideful and focused on self. And Paul says instead, these people that bear the fruit of the Spirit, they'll gather together, they'll abandon their self-interest, they'll care for the interest of the other, and they'll seek out true community. If you're in the place that I am in life, you go, I, I wanna be a part of that. There's some beautiful lessons from the church, and we're gonna look in the weeks ahead at some important figures uh, in the history of the church. People like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King Jr. And, um, Martin Luther's Theology of the Cross and some places that in church history we can learn what it looks like to really be the church. I wanna encourage you not to miss a week, to hang in tight with us and say, let's ask God to do something really significant as Ecclesia leans into our 20th year. There's other things I could do, there's other things you could do. There's nothing more meaningful I could ever be a part of. And I don't think there's anything more meaningful you could ever be a part of. So as we come to the table, we allow me to pray for you and with you. We're gonna ask God to bless this communion and the seed that he's planting within us even now. Lord God, we thank you. Even as some of us get to the bottom of this date seed and we're reminded of your metaphor and teaching that our life's a seed and we wanna plant it once and for all in the right place. We do not want this life that you have given us to be wasted. 
and we hear the words of truth from Scripture today. And we pray, Lord, that it would settle in and we would choose to say, we want to follow that path. We want to be deeply planted in the house of the eternal, the place that we can be nourished by scripture, that we can thrive in prayer, that we begin to trust and have new faith, that our roots become intertwined with other believers so that when the storms come and the difficulties come, that we support one another, that we find a sense of hope that's not our own, and that together we would bear delicious fruit in this world that would demonstrate gentleness and patience and kindness and self-control and things that seem like an anomaly in a culture that's filled with pride and provocation and self-interest. And so today, God, we ask you to bless this bread. We believe as followers of the one who came and demonstrated the ultimate kind of sacrificial love as he laid down his body and his life so that he could conquer sin and death, that he's called us as well to make sacrifices in the ways that we love one another. Lord, teach us on that path. God, we thank you for this cup, for this wine and juice. In the same way that it says to us that we have been forgiven, Lord, allow us as we take this cup to let go of the anger and hostility we hold against others to truly forgive as we've been forgiven. And God, as we embrace that forgiveness, we ask you to birth in us a kind of fruit that would be evident not only to our friends and family, but we believe to the world. God, may it be so. We pray this prayer together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.